Good morning. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to open to the first chapter of the Gospel of John. John chapter 1. Here we are in this season where we are anticipating the celebration of Christmas. I don't know about you, but I, I face a particular challenge, and I think it's probably true for many of us. Um, and that challenge is for those of us who are pretty familiar with Christmas. Um, and that is that our familiarity can kind of deprive us of a sense of wonder at what it is we are celebrating. Um, many of us know the story of Jesus' birth pretty well. You know it if you've ever seen a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, that happens to be one of my Christmas traditions that I really like because I've always enjoyed the, the Peanuts comic strip, but even more because I really like the message of that show. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I'm about to tell you the plot. Um, Christmas is coming, and Charlie Brown, true to his character, is depressed. And he's depressed because he doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand Christmas. And all of the cultural stuff that happens at Christmas time is just kind of leaving him cold, um, you know, the, uh, the decorations, the buying, the exchange of gifts, um, all the commercialism, just, it isn't, it isn't doing it for him. He just doesn't get the real meaning of Christmas. And so he and his classmates are working on this Christmas play, and it's not going well. <laughs> and in a moment of desperation, he just cries out, isn't there anyone who can tell me what Christmas is all about? And that's when Linus takes the stage, this budding theologian. <laughs> and he recites from the Gospel of Luke the story of Jesus' birth. And it's that story that, that most of us are familiar with of Joseph and Mary having to go to Bethlehem and, and <clears throat> Mary gives birth to Jesus and they place him in a manger in a stable because there's no room in the inn and then out in the fields there's the shepherds watching their sheep and angels appear to them and tell them the good news that Jesus has been born, a Savior is born to you, is Christ the Lord and, and they go racing into uh, Bethlehem to see him. And that's all true and it's glorious but that's not where the story of Christmas really begins. The actual beginning of this story goes way, way back. Back before there were shepherds, back before Joseph and Mary, back before there was a place called Bethlehem, back before there was a people called Israel. Back even before there was a garden called Eden. And the reason the story goes so far back is because the person 
the story is about goes so far back. And when you know this whole story about this person who was born in a stable and visited by shepherds, it makes Christmas much more than just a holiday that comes around every year. It makes Christmas a reason to worship. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of the Gospel of John because it gives us the rest of the story. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, And the Word and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And my prayer for us, my prayer for you and for me this Christmas time, is that that will be true for us, that we will see his glory. The glory of this one who was made flesh and born in Bethlehem. So, John's Gospel, it is the fourth of four biographies, the four Gospels that we have uh, at the beginning of our New Testaments, four biographies of Jesus. And maybe you've wondered at times, why, why are there four? I mean, wouldn't one have done the job? Well, one of the reasons we have four is because each of them emphasizes something different about his identity. And John, the writer of this gospel, he shines his spotlight, so to speak, as far back as it can possibly go. And so we're going to start here. I'm going to read beginning at verse 1 and uh, read down through verse 18. You have a note sheet in your folder uh, if you want to take some notes. That's encouraged. So John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. 
John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. I wanted to read that entire section so that you could see for yourself who it is that John is talking about. He calls him the Word in verse 1. He says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. He also calls him the true light who came into the world. And that's verse 9. And calls him the only son from the Father, verse 14. And then in verse 17, he identifies this one as Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So he is talking about the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. The question is, why does he call him all these different things? Why, why does he describe him in all, with all these different terms? What is it he wants us to learn from these titles. Well, here is the main thing he wants us to learn. God wants you to know him. And Jesus is the way you know him. God wants you to know him. And Jesus is the way you know him. Christmas happened because God wants you to know him. This is what Christmas means. Notice the final words of verse 18. Jesus has made him, that is God, known. Or to put it another way, Jesus is the way we know God. So if you want to know God, if you want to know God really, not, not in just some theoretical or philosophical way, if you actually want to know who he really is and what he's really like, well then you need to know Jesus because Jesus is the way we know God. That's the big idea here. This is the truth that sets the Christian message apart from every other faith and philosophy on the planet. And I want to show you why this is so. Why Jesus is the way we know God. There are two really important reasons here in this passage. The first reason is this. Jesus is the way we know God because of who he's always been. He's the way we know God because of who he has always been. Now, John, the author of this biography, would really not make a good mystery writer. Because he violates the first rule of writing a mystery, which is keep your readers guessing. Keep them wondering who done it. But John has exactly the opposite goal. He wants you to know who done it right away. He wants you to know who this hero of the story is because he wants you to see something. He wants you to see his glory. He wants you to read his whole book with that in mind, with this firm understanding 
of who he is so that you, you watch everything that Jesus does as he describes it and you listen to everything that Jesus says with this awareness of who he really is. So he just comes right out and says it. He just tells us right, right out of the chute. And what he says, what he tells us, is just flat out amazing. He says, first of all, Jesus has always existed. <laughs> well, that's all. Jesus has always existed. In the beginning was the Word. And those first words ought to sound familiar if you've ever read the very first verse of the Bible. Most people have heard it. What? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So when it talks about in the beginning, it means the beginning of the universe. And he says, uh, the beginning of the universe does not mean the beginning of this one called the Word, or ultimately Jesus. It's not the beginning of Jesus. Notice in verse 1, in the beginning, the Word already was. The Word was. He existed before the beginning. So when God created the heavens and the earth, the Word was already there. He's always been there. He didn't begin in Bethlehem. He didn't even begin nine months before he was born in the womb of Mary. He didn't begin, period. I remember, I think it was in college, you know, when I knew everything, and um, sitting around with some friends, and we were talking about eternity and trying to kind of wrap our brains around what, what, what is that, you know? And, and we, we concluded that while you can kind of sort of stretch your mind and imagine an eternity that never ends, you know, never ending, try to think about eternity never beginning. That's really hard to grasp. No beginning. That's what he's saying of this one who's called the Word. No beginning. Now maybe you, maybe you already heard that. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you already believe it. Maybe you don't believe it. Maybe you're here checking it out. And I'm really glad you're here. It's a great place to be. Talk to people afterwards and you know, ask questions and things. But if you already know it, if you've already believed it, I want to ask you to ask yourself a question. Does it amaze you? Does it stagger you? Does it fill you with wonder? Does it move you to worship? To know that the infant born to Mary in Bethlehem, who then grew up, as a man in Galilee who ultimately let himself be taken to a cross and nailed there to die for us, for our sins, that this one, this very same person has always existed. If this, is, if this is familiar to you, I would just encourage you to do what I need to do, and that's just ask God to help you not become insensitive to this phenomenal truth. 
this phenomenal reality. Because see, if it's true, if it's true, it calls for more than agreement. It calls for amazement. It really does. So why is he called the Word? You know, we think of a word or a message coming from a person. We don't really think of a word or message being a person, but in the case of Jesus, the message is a person, and the person is the message. Now, throughout history, God has spoken his messages again and again through special people called prophets, and the Bible is full of their words uh, because they weren't speaking on their own behalf. They were speaking for God. But see, Jesus is much more than a prophet. God didn't just speak through him. He himself was the message. Look what Hebrews chapter 1 says about this. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. We just read about that in John 1. Now look at this. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. That was never true of any prophet. Jesus is unique. He's God's unique message to us. He's always existed. But that's not all. John also tells us about him, that Jesus has always been with God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. So this means he's always been in relationship with God, meaning God the Father. We know that because of verse 14. It says that Jesus is the only Son from the Father, who came from the Father. Verse 18 says that he was at the Father's side. And these are words uh, uh, picturing a very close, intimate relationship at the Father's side. So, see, the word is a person, not a thing, in case we haven't figured that out yet. He's a person. He's a who. He's not a what. And he's always been with God. And see, that, that is a huge reason why Jesus is the way we know God. Because he knows exactly what God is like. Exactly. He, Jesus has been in relationship with the Father literally forever. If think about people you know who know each other really, really, really well. Like, you know, maybe some married couple that's been married for like, you know, forever. 40 years, 50 years. And you... you just when you're with them, they seem to know what each other's thinking. They finish each other's sentences. They, they can tell what the other person's thinking just by looking at them, by the look on their faces. How does that happen? Well, it happens because they've spent a lot of time together. A lot of time. They've had a lot of conversations. They've had a lot of experiences together. They've gotten to know each other really, really well. Well, Jesus has been with the Father for all eternity. 
The Father and the Son know each other perfectly. So that's amazing. And that's still not all. That's still not all John has to tell us about Jesus. Not only has he always existed, not only has he always been with God, he has always been God. So verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 18 no one has ever seen God, but the only God, or you could translate it, the unique God, or the one-of-a-kind God, or God the one and only, that's my favorite, God the one and only who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. <laughs> John has this way of saying the most profound things in the simplest possible way. I mean, think about the sentence. The word was God. That's about as simple a sentence as you could construct. The word was God. Could not be any simpler to say, and it couldn't be any more profound to try to grasp. You say, John, how can Jesus both be with God and be God? And this is why Christians came up with that term, Trinity, to try to state that God is three in one, or one in three. One God, eternally existing in three persons, or three personalities, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christians say it because the Bible teaches it. And I've read people who say, well, you know, these Christians just made that up. Because, uh, you know, it's hard to understand. <laughs> Imagine that. God's hard to understand. The eternal creator, who's absolutely holy. Yeah. But we Christians didn't make up that because they wanted to. It's because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, I know there are people who say that's not true. And you'll have people come to your door and say that's not what the Bible actually teaches. They're wrong. They're wrong. Um, actually, here in the very first three verses, the fact that Jesus is God is emphasized twice in the first three verses. So, verse 1, that's, that's pretty obvious. The Word was God. By the way, that is what it says. That is how it should be translated. You'll have some people tell you, well, no, it should be translated the Word was a God. That's not true. Anyone who says that is... Uh, apparently not familiar with the grammar of the original, it really has to be translated, the word was God. But then verse 3, we have this statement, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Does that sound a little weird? Kind of repetitive? Nothing was made without him that, wasn't, that was made. Well, it sounds a little funny but see, by saying it that way, John's made it very clear. There's God, and then there's things that were made. And anything that was made, Jesus made it. If it's made, he made it. If it's created, he created it, which means he was not made. He was not created. He's the creator, which is another way of saying he's God. 
And this is just one of many places in the Bible where Jesus is described as God. Um, this book of John reaches its dramatic crescendo. I mean, John is basically you know, writing toward this moment. With this moment in view, he's constructing and telling his account of Jesus. And you get to John chapter 20, and there's this guy named Thomas. He's one of the disciples. And he wasn't there when Jesus first appeared to the other disciples after his resurrection from the dead. And they say, Thomas, he's alive. And Thomas says, I don't think so. And I'm not going to believe it. Until I see him with my I saw him die, guys. I, until I see him with my own eyes, until I can touch him with my own hands, I don't believe it. And then Jesus shows up. And you know what Thomas says? He says, my Lord and my God. Now, the important thing to notice is what, how Jesus responds to that. How he responds to Thomas calling him God. What does he do? Does he correct him? Does he, uh, you know, scold him? Rebuke him for calling a man God? No. No, he affirms his belief. In fact, he kind of chides him for not believing sooner. And so by writing this way, John is inviting us to join with Thomas, to join with himself, to join with the other apostles, to join them in worshiping Jesus Christ as eternal God the Son. He has always been God. He has always been with God. He has always been, period. That's why, that's why he's the way we know God. Because of who he's always been. But that's not all. Because if you think about it, who he's always been, that wouldn't really help us except for this other reason. Jesus is the way we know God, not only because of who he's always been, but because of what he became. Because of what he became. So, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we, we eyewitnesses, John is saying, we eyewitnesses, we have seen his glory. So, he's always existed. He's always been with God. He's always been God. And then he became something he wasn't. He became human. And this is the staggering truth of Christmas. He became human. And this is why he can reveal God so completely to us. Because he became one of us. He became one of us. He became one of us to speak our language. He became one of us to feel our feelings. He became one of us to know our sorrows. He became one of us to experience our sufferings. And above all, he became one of us to die our death. 
The death we deserve because of our sin, He came to die it for us on our behalf. All so that you might know God. Tim Keller tells a true story to help us try to grasp what Jesus did for us by becoming flesh. He tells, uh, Keller tells about uh, Dorothy Sayers, a British author. She happens to have been one of the first women to ever graduate from Oxford University. And she became a writer of mystery stories. Maybe some of you have read some of her stuff. Her most famous work probably is a series of novels and short stories about a amateur sleuth named Lord Peter Whimsey. He's a British aristocrat who solves crimes as a hobby. And about halfway through the series of these uh, Peter Whimsey stories, uh, a character appears named Harriet Vane. And Harriet just so happens to be one of the first women to graduate from Oxford University and an author of mystery stories. And as the series progresses, Harriet and Peter fall in love and they get married. And Keller asks, do you know what Dorothy Sayers did? She wrote herself into her story. She created, she'd created Peter Whimsey and, and the world he lived in and she felt compassion for him because he was all alone. So she put herself in the world she'd created in the person of Harriet Vane to love him, to save him from his aloneness. And Keller points out, this is a picture of what God did for us in the person of Jesus Christ. The author entered the story to love us and to save us so that we could know him personally. The way to truly know God is to know the author who entered the story, Jesus, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. You can know him. You can know him if you don't. He has done everything necessary to extend to you that invitation. In fact, as we've seen, the word became flesh. Ultimately, he became one of us to die the death that we deserve. He, he did that. We stand condemned because of our sin apart from him, because of our willful rejection of our God. And Jesus came to bear that condemnation for us. 
to take it from us so that we would never know that. We could just know life. We could, he bridged the gap. He built that bridge so that you can know him, so that I can know him. You can know him if you want to. And if you do know him, you can know him better. You can know him better. You can see his glory and you can delight yourself in him. Uh, Open your Bibles and look at him. Listen to him. Trust him. So if you haven't yet done so, ask him. Ask him to save you. Ask him to lead you. Ask him to teach you who God really is. He will do it. Why? Because that's who he is. That is who he is. I want to invite you to pray with me. Yeah, I'm guessing that you could possibly be thinking of uh, dozens of different things right now. Uh, you might be thinking about what you got to do after church today, or uh, what's coming up this next week, or who's playing football today, or uh, maybe you're thinking about the people next to you. I don't know. Can I, just, can I just encourage you to put all that aside for a minute? And can I just ask you to face this incredible truth God wants you to know him. And Jesus is the way you know him. So, if you want to know him right now, you could say, Lord Jesus, help me believe. Help me know who you really are. I know that on my own, I don't deserve to have eternal life with God. I know if I got what I deserved, I'd be condemned. But today I want to say, Lord, save me, rescue me, help me know you. Give me the life that you came to give. Or if today your relationship with God is feeling weak, feeling Uh, superficial, feeling kind of fake. Well, God wants you to know him. And Jesus is the way you know him. So ask him to help you. Ask him to help you know him better. So I'll be quiet. I'll give you a minute to pray, and then I'll pray. Gracious Father, thank you for Christmas, for the reality that you sent your Son, that he came willingly to be made flesh and dwell among us so that we could see your glory, so that we could know you. Lord, it, it, um, it's a truth that I confess it's easy to take for granted, and to get kind of numb to, I pray you'd help us not be numb to it today. Help us touch our hearts. God, just help us be amazed. Fill us with a sense of wonder and joy. This is good news. 
Lord, help, help it show. Help it show. Help us share it. Help us live it. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.